Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. For one weekend each year, people call Sandy Monahan any number of names. The Angel of Death, or the Angel of Mercy, the Cutoff Queen, even a few names we can't mention on the show. That's because during this 100-mile ultra-marathon in the mountains, Sandy has this special power. She's the one responsible for ending people's dreams. Dreams they've been actively working towards for the better part of a year. I've been racing for on and off about 30 years. And this is the first race that I started that I did not finish. I, too, am a victim of Sandy the Sweeper. I just really lost it. I was crying. Uh, I had a complete meltdown, snot everywhere, tears. I couldn't even see through my glasses. I'd never been asked to give my bib up before, and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Sandy has gotten the rare death threat. Someone offered to give her their credit card if she would just bend the rules a little bit. I uh, I remember saying, by the way, do you want, I'll just say, a pair of my uh, male genitals okay. as well? Okay. You want my nuts yeah. too? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Okay. For 15 years, Sandy has been in charge of who succeeds and finishes this 100-mile race and who fails. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. Each week on Human Race, we tell a story about runners and the world of running. Today, we find out what it's like to hold perhaps the most thankless job in running. To be the person responsible for telling ultramarathon runners, I'm sorry you did not make the cut. All the work you've put into this, well, today is not your day. You can't finish the race. It's a story of dashed dreams, surprising moments of kindness, and a community on the edge of ruin. There's more than just the runner's fate at stake. Outrunning the angel of death or succumbing to the angel of mercy, this race is one that thousands of people depend upon. This story begins early, early on a Saturday morning in August in Leadville, Colorado. This is producer Willow Belden, by the way. Willow, so you traveled to this little mountain town to observe a race called the Leadville Trail 100. Right, and like the name suggests, the race is 100 miles total. Now, 100-mile races take place all over the country. Leadville, though, is this tiny town. It's just over 2,500 people. And it's the town with the highest elevation in America. That's above 10,000 feet. 
Plus, the race boasts 18,000 feet of elevation gain. 18,000 feet. For you city people, that's 14 and a half times the Empire State Building. So this race is really, really hard. Uh, it goes through beautiful areas, though. Leadville, the town, is tucked in between some of the highest mountains in the U.S. And the race kind of skirts these mountains. It goes along the edges of lakes and through rivers and up these beautiful high alpine mountain passes. So absolutely gorgeous. Uh, of course, this beautiful view also means the race, as we said, is grueling. The way the race is set up, it's an out and back, which means that you run 50 miles out and then you turn around and run the same trail back to Leadville. But there's a catch. Every mountain you climb during the first half of the race, you then have to do it in reverse on the way back. And also, you have to remember that it gets really cold at night up in the mountains here. It's August, but it still often dips down below freezing. So you're dealing with a lot of cold. Plus, at this high elevation, a lot of the runners who are coming from sea level are dealing with altitude sickness. Um, and so all of this means that half of the people who start this race don't actually finish. Well, OK, so there are two reasons that half of the people don't finish. First, this is one of the really tough 100-mile races that you don't have to qualify for. So you don't have to run a previous 100-mile race to get into this one. There's a lottery, so there's a lot of first-timers who run this race. The second reason people don't finish? Sandy Monahan. Hey, there she is. Hi! How are you? Good, how are you? Good. How long have you been here? Oh, just a little bit. I met Sandy on Saturday at the race's 50-mile mark. So that's the place where 50 miles after they started running, racers turn around and head back the way they came. And it also happens to be a make-or-break point for many, many runners. How, how are things going? What was the general climate? People seemed really positive. There was... There's one guy who was hurting pretty bad, it looked like. Uh, but no injuries or anything? No, just, just vomiting on the side of the trail. That's all, vomiting. <laughs> that's what, really, really, that's like, you're supposed to vomit, right? It's not an ultra if you don't vomit. <laughs> so to be an official finisher of this race, you have to finish in 30 hours. That means at every major aid station, there's a time cutoff for runners. And one of the main reasons is safety. Race organizers want to make sure that there are supplies and volunteers available at aid stations for all of the runners. They also don't want to leave any determined stragglers behind, alone in the mountains, when perhaps they're not equipped to finish the whole race. And if runners don't make the cutoff, they're not allowed to continue. And Sandy, Sandy is the enforcer. She's the so-called cutoff queen. But she actually doesn't like the name cutoff queen. That was a name that was given long, long before I took the job. I don't think it's a queenly job. I just think I'm a volunteer out there helping people. So we could also call her the angel of death or the angel of mercy. Those are both names that people also use for her. And I guess what you call her depends on how terrible you feel. Because at this point in the race, runners have spent five miles hauling themselves up a mountain only to have their quads thrashed during the descent. So in some cases, it might be nice to have the angel of mercy tell you that you don't need to run anymore. 
Sure, and there were people for whom that was true, but then you also have to remember that a lot of runners have been preparing for a really, really long time for this race, and so they don't necessarily want to get cut off. They don't want the angel of death to stop them. So one of the first places that Sandy cuts people off is the halfway point of the race. And when I arrive there, a loudspeaker is announcing how much time is left until they'll start pulling runners. Um, But of course, that doesn't stop Sandy from incessantly checking the time on her own watch. And people are swarming around Sandy here. They're wearing grubby layers of athletic gear. And among these people, Sandy really stands out. She has short blonde hair. She's wearing black cropped leggings and a bright pink shirt and white visor. Um, And she's not an imposing figure by any means, but it's totally clear that she is a person who will stand her ground. And in the end, right, it's Sandy's call when to start enforcing the cutoff. And the clock is ticking. So the cutoff here is at 6 o'clock, which is in about 23 minutes. minutes. (laughs) And it's a hard cutoff, and that means in about... 15 minutes you're going to hear me running around and screaming at people that they must get out of here. This aid station is flooded with crew members and volunteers, the people supporting the runners. And these are people who are very important to Leadville for reasons we'll explain in a minute. Any other day of the year, this place is a ghost town, like an actual ghost town. There are a few historic log cabins, but the town doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So... As the 6 p.m. cutoff time approaches, that's five minutes. It's like water dropped on an anthill. Everyone starts scurrying, and Sandy hurries around from one runner's crew to the next runner's crew, trying to manage the chaos. across the aid station. Hi. Hi. So you're waiting for your runner? I am. What? Do you know what time they came through Twin Lakes? Um, I believe around one, right? Okay. Well, yeah. then they should. They could be here at any minute. Yeah. So I'm just checking to make sure you understand that this is a Hard cut at 6 o'clock. So where does he have to be at 6 p.m.? At 6 p.m. he needs to be around that corner. and Oh, out of that. Out of here. Out of the, not in the station. No, out of, out the, of station. the station. Oh, so yes. you got to get him in and out fast. So this is my recommendation. As we get closer, if you're, you know, starting to be concerned, move your stuff that direction so that you can take okay. care of him where I'm not. Okay. If that makes any sense. Okay, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. The runners are trickling in exhausted, and their crews are doing whatever they can to prep them for the next section of the race. Some people are not doing so well. One guy face-planted on the way into the aid station and now is getting help from the medics. Another person is shivering furiously, uh, and it looks like he might be suffering from altitude sickness. Get some warm broth in him. Can I recommend that you get a blanket around him real quick or something warm around him? Because he's got goosebumps and it's going to get cold real quick. Thank you. And you're welcome. Runners and crews, we got five minutes till the cutoff. That gives you enough time to eat, drink, and be walking out of here at 6 p.m. For the people who come in now, it's really close. But Sandy waves them on. I made it! Well, you need to turn around and get the hell away from me. (laughs) I'm not going to catch you if you've got start. Just get around the corner, then breathe. Okay? Thank you. But when it hits 6 o'clock, it's dashing dreams time. This is so awful. 
Okay, I'm about ready to call it. So any runners going need to get on the other side of my face. Sandy's job really starts now. Okay, got it. It's the runner sort of Cinderella at midnight moment. Okay. Now comes the hard part. Because we're at 6.02 now. We're at 6.02. No, we're done. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. We're, we're done. done. Of course, there were tears. Where is your wristband? Keep walking. I am, you did a great job and you should be proud of yourself. You ran a tough 50 miles, okay? You should be, you should be, you should be really, really proud of yourself. Okay. Let me catch that. Do you want your wristband back? Yes, please. All right, you can have it back. Sandy pulls out a black and pink ribbon looped around her neck. On the end of it is a pair of tiny pink scissors that were hidden under her shirt. She cuts off the runner's wristband and hands it back to her. She also breaks the two timing chips that are on the runner's race bib. Sandy gives the runner another hug and sends her off to get some food. This is not your routine, did not finish, which is really always disappointing. Here, runners have only completed half of the race they've likely trained a year for. Some spend weeks in the area acclimating to the altitude. In this year, they've blown off family events, sleep, socializing, to throw themselves into the race, not to mention the money they've spent on a year's worth of travel and gear. Runners have so much emotionally and financially invested in this event, and then it's over. Here's Leadville runner Kaylin McCann. Um, This is the first time I've ever had to stop a race, even though I know I can keep going, and... I'm just not allowed to keep going. People say, oh, well, just go and do it again. But one of the difficult aspects of DNFing at a race like Leadville is that it is very hard to get into. And so it's not that easy to just go back and try again. I really hope that I will have a chance to do that, but, and I will try, but it's, it's not entirely in my control. It makes sense that some of them take it so hard. But not everybody does. That's the angel of mercy part. Wait a minute, I didn't get my hug. (laughs) You know, the hug is for me. You guys do an awesome job. Thank you. I hope you had fun. Okay. Fun is probably not the word I would use. It's a type of fun. Yeah. It was an adventure. Type 3 fun. Sandy's routine generally goes like this. Stop, stand firm, console. Stop, stand firm, console. Nice job. Thank you. You're welcome. What do you have to do, cut it off? Just your wristband, <laughs> nothing else. We don't take appendages. <laughs> if she can, she throws a joke in there too. And Willow, you even got a few runners who requested a picture with Sandy, right? Yeah, we certainly did. A little photographic evidence of failure, as it were. <laughs> okay. I'll show you I'll show your scissor. Oh, okay, I'll show my scissors. I'll show my... Okay, okay, okay. Come broken heart. My okay. broken heart. <laughs> you broke broken heart? Yes! For, for one minute. Okay. I've got to say, it was not at all what I expected. I thought there would be a lot of resentment towards Sandy. I thought people would be angry. But for the most part, it was just the opposite. 
people were grateful. Even the runners who came in crying didn't lash out at her. Which is so weird. Sometimes I think of Sandy's job like that airline employee who has to tell you that you did not make your flight. And this has happened to me so, so many times. But in those cases, I always feel like launching myself over the desk, like yelling in their faces. I've never, ever felt like giving that employee a hug. But I don't know. Sandy seems to have these neutralizing powers. Yeah. And to be fair, that's Sandy's rule. You have to give her a hug when she cuts you off. But if you consider the state that some of these runners were in, I mean, I was thankful that some of them were cut off. Yeah, I guess we need to remember that, sure, some runners ran more slowly than they thought, and they missed the cutoff, and now Sandy is forcing them to stop, which is super sad. But others may have had real medical needs that put them in danger. So when Sandy stops these runners, she's actually saving them from what could possibly be an even more tragic end to the race. Which would be, you know, like stuck between points without medical help in the middle of the night. And so even with the heartbreak of failing, maybe a hug is a better option than the alternative. There is something really special about the Leadville 100. The very real risk of heartbreak with a hug, sure. But this feeling at this run is bigger than any single participant. The race was dreamed up and started in Leadville in the hopes that it could save a town after tragedy. And after the break, we find out what almost sank the town and the people in it. And we'll catch up with Sandy and the runner she cuts off a little later in the race. Stay with us. To understand the Leadville Trail 100 and the people who volunteer their time to be at the race, you have to go back way back to before the race started. Don't worry, we have time. The race is 100 mountainous miles and the runners are, you know, between aid stations. While I was in Leadville, I visited Ken Klober in his office. And if you're picturing some generic office building or a cubicle farm, you've got the wrong picture. So I got to ask about your office here. You you must be a hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love to go hunting and we'll be going hunting in. So you've got, you've got a bison here, you've got a pronghorn, oh, you've got a deer. Lot, yeah, I've got a lot of antelope, a lot of deer. The walls of his office were covered with taxidermied animal heads, probably a few dozen of them. And Ken, he's the kind of guy who wears cowboy boots, poses for pictures with his rifle, and calls you honey. That honey thing might be off-putting if he weren't so easy to be around. So the Leadville 100 started with him in the 1980s. So I had this wonderful, well-paying job in the largest mining company in the world buying me these great big firecrackers. So so you guys were dynamiting in the mine. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And that was way too much fun. Yeah, the, uh, the way we would do it, it was sticks of dynamite, and it had a three-minute fuse. Well... You know, just big boys being little boys, we would forever cut that fuse down, that three-minute fuse, and we'd get to playing. And there were times I'd light that thing, you know, fire in the hole, take off running down that drift, and have that blast hit me in the rear end. <laughs> so, yeah. Ken lived in Leadville. He had a wife, a baby, a job he loved. He managed a group of people at the mine. And then... One day, everything changed for Ken and the entire town of Leadville. 
I went to work, I think it was a Thursday. I know damn well it was a Thursday. It's branded in my, my memory. Uh, so I got all dressed up to go, to go underground. And about that time I got a call. Went up to the office and it was a real short meeting. He said, boys, we're shutting her down. Go, go tell your crews to go home. We're out of a job. And just like that, the mine was closed. 3,200 people lost their jobs that day. And that's 3,200 people out of a town of 5,000. Highest unemployment in the nation. We knew we had to do something to save our community. Everybody was out of work. You don't just lose the income. Along with uh, idle hands comes all the abuses. Uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse. And it, it wasn't pretty. Now, I had no money. Zero. I was, I was like the rest of them, feeding my family and on the unemployment benefits. We knew we had to do something to, to save our town. Ken watched helplessly as his beloved Leadville spiraled into despair. It was so bad that Colorado's governor at the time came to visit, and he offered some advice. One note here, I talked to Ken during the race weekend, so he was getting cell phone alerts throughout the conversation. He said, you've got your mining history and heritage, you've got these beautiful mountains, you've got to get people to come to your community and spend money. That's, that's the key. The key to getting them to spend money is that they stay overnight. Well. We'd had all kind of suggestions of a fair, a rodeo, a, a, some sort of a foot race. And I'm saying foot race, um, 10K, marathon. But none of these ideas would sustain the tourism for more than an afternoon or maybe one night. Ken realized they had to think bigger. But by golly, if they run 100 miles, they're damn sure going to stay overnight. So that's the width, depth, and breadth of my intellectual capacity there. That's what gave birth to the Leadville Trail 100, and uh, we were off and running. In 1983, with Ken as the race director, the Leadville 100-mile race kicked off with just 45 runners. Now, the good part about that in starting a 100-mile race I knew I had to have a lot of volunteers, a lot of people to help me. Well, they couldn't tell me they were busy doing anything else because I knew they were just as unemployed as I was. So they said, yeah, Ken will help. The volunteers poured in 33 years ago, and they continue to pour in today. This year, there was one volunteer for every two racers. And they represent revenue for the town of Leadville. They spend money on lodging and food. And here's the thing about the people who volunteer for Leadville. Some of them have been at it for decades. Take the aid station at Hope Pass, which provides food and medical help near the race's highest point. It was total anarchy in the beginning. The people who started manning it had no official connection to the race. They just thought the runners could use some support up there. So they hiked five miles up the mountain with a pack of llamas that carried supplies. Today, it's an official aid station. And the llamas packing up supplies, they are still a part of it. Hear that light crunching noise in the background? Those are the llamas grazing up there at the aid station. 
I love that the race has llamas. Me too. And so did a lot of runners, actually. So as we've said, this aid station is official now, but even people who aren't officially involved with the race still help out. The entire town mobilizes to get in on the act. So the owner of the hostel I stayed at had a hot breakfast ready for runners starting at 2 a.m. on Saturday, and she promised to make stew for those who had quit earlier than expected. This all-hands-on-deck spirit, this was set early on. Because in the beginning, the town needed these runners. So they were largely appreciative when out-of-towners took over their city each year. For runners and crew, many of whom decided to stick around beyond the race, the town was really welcoming. Right, some runners bought houses here so they could train here for the race. Well, in two, our summers are beautiful. If you're going to spend any time in Leadville, June through August, that's the time to do it. And You know, our high temperatures, we never got out of the 70s. Other people spend weeks here preparing because, of course, it helps to train at altitude for a race like this. And others have retired from ultra running but have decided they can't give up Leadville. Now they're volunteers. Ken estimates that since the race started, it and other events in what's now known as the Leadville Race Series have earned some $20 million for the town. That's direct impact, not money in Ken's pocket. So jobs, new businesses, people buying homes. Yeah, and that's huge. So that retired racer-turned-volunteer thing is how Sandy, our cutoff person, got pulled in. Since 1989, she and her husband have traveled to Leadville every year for the race. In the beginning, they'd drive from Southern California to Colorado with their two kids and a dog in tow. Her husband ran, Sandy served as his crew, and when Sandy's husband stopped running Leadville in 2000, they both wanted to come back and help other runners do it. And crewing for Sandy's husband gave her plenty of experience for the job. When Sandy and I were driving to the next aid station after that 6 p.m. cutoff at the last one, she told me this story from her husband's third year running the race. My kids were still young. I still had a puppy with me, and he came into Twin Lakes with tons of time to spare. Twin Lakes is the rest stop at 60.5 miles. He came up and he said, I'm, that's it, I'm done, this is no fun. And I said, are you kidding me? You think I'm having fun? And so he got into the back of the van and he started taking his shoes off. And as he took them off, I was putting fresh socks on him. And he was questioning, why are you doing that? What are you doing? You know, I saw I got his, he took them off and I put them back on. He took his shirt off. I put a dry shirt on. And pretty soon he got out of the car. I just slammed the door shut and locked the doors. And he said, what are you doing? Only that wasn't quite the word that he used. <laughs> and I said, bye, I'll see you at the next aid station. And he was not happy. I just thought, if you think you're quitting this race because you're not having fun, and I have been sitting here all this time with two kids chasing them, trying to figure out where in the hell our son is on the trail and the dog and everybody else. But he finished the race. We've had other nights like that out here, definitely. Another memorable event happened the ninth year her husband was on track to complete the race. That year, he made it through each aid station just before cutoff, thanks to Sandy's cajoling. And the person who was cutting off the runners at the time was super strict. The cutoff is at 945 by God, and you're in and you're not. And it was really an ugly experience. Sandy thought that the approach was too clinical. For Sandy, this was personal. 
acts. There was no compassion, no thoughtfulness, nothing. It was done by the clock. And I watched it, and I, I just, I couldn't stand it because my husband was right there on the edge the whole way. I just couldn't stand to see people be just brutally cut off arbitrarily without any, you know, kindness. Did your husband finish that year? He did. He actually came into May Queen with seconds to spare and he had negative splits. He, f he finished from May Queen to the finish faster than he did it coming out. Wow. He was motivated. I'll say. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. In a later year, Sandy's husband Mike claimed a special belt buckle. The one you get for completing 10 Leadvilles. That's a thousand miles through the mountains. And Sandy, for as much work as she'd put in getting her husband across the finish line, she decided she was not done with Leadville. Not yet. And so when Mike decided that he wasn't going to run the race anymore, and I stepped up and I said, if you ever need someone to do cutoff, I'm your man, but you got to let me do it the way I need to do it. And now Sandy and her husband, who are both volunteers, spend two weeks of their August in this mountain town. This year, her husband couldn't make it, but she was still there. She's done the job for 15 years and only gotten one death threat. That and the conclusion of this year's Leadville 100 after the break. I'm sitting in Sandy's brand new white Ford Explorer. We're driving from the 50 mile aid station with a 6 p.m. cutoff to Twin Lakes, which has a 9.45 p.m. cutoff time. It's only 10 more miles down the course, but between here and the last cutoff spot, runners have to go back over the race's highest point for a second time. At Twin Lakes, you're gonna see maybe some more severe disappointment because if you come across into Winfield and then get back to Twin Lakes and be pulled, that's like, oh my God, I've just done that ghastly, you know, run and now I've got to go home. And you have to remember, Sandy, she's an optimist. And despite her sometimes heartbreaking work, she's also in a prime position to really help people. Yeah, and part of Sandy's effectiveness is that she won't lie to people. If she doesn't think they'll make it to the next station, she won't tell them that they will. But for people riding the cutoffs, like her husband did in year three, she'll give them all the tools she can to help them get there. She coaches the crews and runners. She offers advice about where to run and where to take it easy for the best possible outcome. She makes sure that they remember to eat and get into warm clothes. When I told people I was working on this story and that I, one of the people that I was going to be interviewing was the cutoff queen whose job it was to cut people off, tell them they didn't make the cutoff, what everyone says is, oh gosh, that must be the person nobody ever wants to see. And it, and it does. I mean, it sounds sure. like, on the face of it, it sounds like a really thankless job. I think you can see that's not true. But I was just going to say, it doesn't look like that at all. No, it, it's not thankless. Because people really appreciate kindness in a down moment. And that's true in any part of your life. And if you can make somebody feel better when something awful is happening, that's a good thing. It's not about what she's saying to them. It's how she's saying it, with kindness. That doesn't mean that Sandy hasn't gotten on the wrong side of someone's rage. One time, a crew member, who actually happened to be a nurse, threatened to stomp Sandy's head in. 
But that is certainly not the norm. No, not at all. All right, well, here we are at Twin Lakes. We are. When we finally arrive at the next aid station, Sandy has to cut off another wave of runners. But between the last stop and this one, she's put on her battle paint, fresh lipstick. She straightened her white visor and brushed off her bright pink shirt. She's ready. It is the most stressful time because it's pitch black out here and I can't see anything. There's so much adrenaline out here. It's just, ugh. Twin Lakes is pretty chaotic. Runners are coming in with headlamps, which are shining in Sandy's face. Crews can't find their runners in the dark. The mood is totally different than it was at the last cutoff point. Runners have been at it for 17 plus hours at this point. They've gone over this ridiculously steep 12,000 foot mountain pass, not once, but twice. It's getting cold out. It's cold enough, in fact, that I'm wearing my puffy coat. So yeah, runners are coming in looking haggard. There are a few stages of grief that happen when runners are stopped by Sandy. It often starts with either sadness or denial. Hi there. Hello. I'm sorry, I can't see you. That's all right. Really? I can do 40 miles in nine hours. I know you can, but I'm sorry. I've got. I've, once I once I call a cut, I have to can I see your follow wrist, through. Sir? Here, I can get his wrist. Okay. Yeah. Where's your wristband? Yeah. Right here. Guys, that's a little unfair. There's another ton runners behind me. Can also do it in time. I don't think it's really. I understand how you feel. I do. There's ten hours to go. I understand and how you feel. It's twelve hours. The cuts are for a reason, and yeah. it's for, for it's for safety purposes. Sorry, that's, that's all right. It's for safety purposes, and it's also because we've got volunteers out there on the trail, and yeah. we have to worry about you being out in the woods in the middle of the night. I hope you can understand that. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. What about if I don't stop at an aid station? Pardon me? What if I don't stop at an aid station? I can't. I cannot let you go through. Okay. Because we're, as of this moment, they've already pulled the timing chips, no so there's no way to track you and make sure that you're safe out there. Okay? okay. All right. Thank you for being so understanding. And this, for the moment, is about as tough as it gets. Sandy cuts off more wristbands. There's more light consoling. I think my angel of death duty might be coming to a close soon. And then this thing that happens over and over. Each instance, I'm totally surprised by it. So this guy walks up. Can I help you? I just just heard that you were the cutoff lady. And for the first year, my father... Has, has been within a, inches of the cutoff point. So I just wanted to say I appreciate the role that you play here. Um, you are so sweet to take the time to do that. And thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot to me. It really yeah. does. Thank you. Oh, gosh. She gives him a hug, of course. That made my whole night. <laughs> thank you. And how's your dad? The runners still have 40 more miles to go. And the night is far from over yet. The final cutoff is at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Remember, runners have 30 hours to finish total. Which means there are still 12 hours left for the last runner still on the course. Sandy packs up for three more stops she'll visit tonight. And you, Willow, must have been exhausted. I know you weren't running, but all of that emotion and just the knowledge that people had been at it for the better part of a day only to realize they weren't going to make it. Yeah, it was super hard, and I was exhausted. Uh, It was about 10.30 at night by the time I finally decided to go back to the hostel and get a little sleep. I, I really needed it. Of course, Sandy was up all night, 
and she held it together until the morning where I met up with her again at the race's finish. So she's off duty now, right? Right. She still watches the clock, but from the sidelines. And she's no longer the enforcer. She's gotten the runners this far, and now they're on their own. But there's a lot of people that I talk to along the way that are coming in now. I mean, just take a look at these people with all the guts coming across that finish line. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm glad I didn't have to see you. It's like they can hardly walk and yet they're running. That's right. I just talked to somebody that I talked to last year. He came over and um, he's, a, he's a, Navy, a former Navy SEAL. He's a motivational speaker. And we spent about an hour and a half at May Queen last year chatting. And he, he, came, he came over and he told me that he came back this year because told me I painted a picture of the race that was something he wanted to be a part of. And he talks about this race when he gives his motivational speeches all the time, about the families and the people that are here and how hard people work and how if you work really hard, you can achieve things you never thought you could. It's wonderful. feels like it's almost as emotional for you as it is for the runners right now. Maybe more so sometimes. I don't know what more to say than that. I just, I know how hard they've worked all night. And their families and crews have just, and all the volunteers have helped them all night long. This is really emotional. It is. For many people, it's a life-changing event. It is. We have folks on 6th Street that can make it! Spectators, go get them! Run them in! We need your help! And this is where the heartbreak could happen. When the shotgun goes off, that's it. And they're so close. One of the last runners limps across the finish line seconds before 10 a.m. And naturally, Sandy goes over to talk to her. I had no idea that this was, I was gonna. That's why I told you to run it. Do you remember? I know. I'm happy for you. Really happy for you. Thank you. Thanks for encouraging me. You're welcome. What a special day. What did she, what did she tell you? Well, I came in to May Queen. Yeah. Right there at the very end. Right at the the cutoff. <laughs> I was one of the last people to come into May Queen. And uh, she said, you'll make it if you run around the lake. And so I uh, did, I hobbled around the lake. <laughs> and I was still hobbling, but somehow it paid off. Congratulations to everyone. We are so appreciative of you coming to our little town in the mountains. There were 340 finishers this year, out of a total of 650 who started. When Ken, the original race director and hunting enthusiast, um, when he started the race all those years ago, he wanted three things out of it. First, he wanted the race to start and end in Leadville. Second, he vowed that he wouldn't ask any local businesses for financial help because the town was already too hard off. And third, no one would be selfish or self-serving. 
That means this December, money from the race will go to a Christmas party that delivers gifts to children in town. And at the end of the school year, every single high school senior in Leadville who is going to continue their education will get $1,000 courtesy of the nonprofit that Ken and the Leadville Race Series started. Many, many people didn't finish the race this year. Again, about half. But even for the runners who didn't complete all 100 miles, the money they spent here helps Leadville stay afloat. Many vow to come back and try their hand at this race again. But today, for Sandy, it's time to call it. Okay, I've cut myself off. Go take a shower. Get some sleep. This week, Human Race was produced by me, Rachel Swaby, and Willow Belden. The episode was edited by Audrey Quinn and David Weinberg. Thank you, thank you to Kaylin McMahon, Scott Shoneman, Amanda Yamarogevitz, Tom Kleinman, and John Purs. Scott Shoneman, by the way, has something he'd like to tell Sandy about that comment about his genitalia. I hope if she does hear this uh, that she accepts my apologies so the theme music is by Danny Cock David Willie is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast Human Race is a proud part of the Panoply Network this was the first episode of Human Race's second season and I just wanted to say it's so nice to be back thank you for waiting and if you're excited that Human Race is back you could do me a really big favor. Tell one person about this podcast or write us a review on iTunes. This little act, just telling a friend or writing a review, will make a really big difference as we move forward with the show. So thank you in advance. And if you want to hear more of Willow, she has her own podcast. The podcast is called Out There, and it's about the outdoors. In the show notes, we'll include links to two episodes that she thinks human race listeners might like. Human race will be back in two weeks. That's October 11th with a brand new long episode. See you soon.